Live your own way in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu new dealer today. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium on this wintry Tuesday in Perth. How about the wild weather in Perth for WA Day yesterday, hey? It was Derby's Interruptus. East Perth versus West Perth, South Romandle versus East Romandle had to be stopped for a period of time because of thunder and lightning. And speaking of South Romandle versus East Romandle, Thanks to Isuzu Utes, you can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Let's get started on the first of my four questions to four-wheel drive you to work on this wet and soggy, maybe even boggy Tuesday. First question, why can't the Sharks beat the Bulldogs? They got rolled again in the wet at the Wacker yesterday afternoon. As I said, interrupted mid-match by thunder and lightning. One thing yet to be interrupted is South Romandle's run of wins in recent years. It is now stretched to 15. And while a lot of those wins have taken place when the Bulldogs have clearly been the better team, that is no longer clearly the case. Now, don't get me wrong. This is a genuine question. Those who know me will know I'm a South Rio boy. They might think I'm being a smart aleck, but I'm not. I want to know, why can't East Fremantle beat South Fremantle? Ladder positions in the last couple of years say the Sharks should have won a couple of derbies, and they still can't win one. Towards the end of yesterday's game, they were clueless, launching attack after attack in the final term, with South defending a small lead. They launched so many forward 50 entries for no result that it was almost inevitable that at some stage... South were going to sneak forward and with their forward line opened up with all the East Frio's players pressing up, the Bulldogs were going to score, and they did. There are real demons here for East Romandle now, and sooner or later they're going to have to get the Bulldog off their back. Second question in my four questions to four-wheel drive you to work thanks to Izuzu. Speaking of bogey teams, do the Dockers have the opportunity this weekend to erase the possibility that the Tigers are a bogey team for them? You can get a bogey team on your back when one team spends a lot of time near the top of the ladder and another near the bottom. The losses mount up to a point where the challenge becomes a mental one rather than just the physical challenge of being the better team on the day. The last six matches between the two clubs have seen the Tigers win four, Fremantle win one, with the match at Marvel Stadium between the two teams ending in a draw last season. Fremantle's only win against the Tigers since 2017 came at Optus Stadium in 2021 by just four points. The Tigers have been competitive this season and had a good hard-fought win against GWS at Giants Stadium at the weekend. But on paper at home, this is a game the Dockers should win. And if they are to keep their run at a finals berth on track after a tardy start to the season, this is a game they have to win. At home, against an opponent coming off a tough game on a heavy track, an opponent which sits beneath them on the ladder. Question three, and this one is for West Coast fans. Who do the Eagles bring into their team for their round 13 clash with Adelaide in Adelaide this weekend? 
The performance against Collingwood was one of their better ones for the season, and we'll talk to Josh Kennedy about that later. But at the end of the day, it was still a 63-point loss, and they lost former skipper Shannon Hearn to injury. Connor West to a knee injury after an accidental collision with a falling Elijah Hewitt, and Hewitt himself misses with concussion after that Jordan Degoe bump on Saturday night. Liam Duggan will miss the game suspended unless he manages to overturn a dangerous tackle ban for an incident involving Taylor Adams in the Collingwood game. The mail is that skipper Luke Shuey should be ready to go after missing six weeks with hamstring and ankle issues. He will be one welcome addition, but they are going to have to find three more. And the names aren't exactly lining up at waffle level. Zane True was tagged and frustrated playing for the Eagles against Swans in an 81-point loss on Sunday. Campbell Chesser was solid with 19 disposals in the same game. He now has a few games under his belt, but ideally the Eagles would like him to get a few more before elevating him back into the senior team. Can Jeremy McGovern and Jack Darling make it back in time? They might not be ready to return after the bye or until after the bye, and others are further away again. Mid-season draft pick Ryan Marrick kicked a nice early goal and had some handy touches early against Swans and then found himself up the other end of the ground to where the footy was. would be a massive call to shoehorn him straight into the AFL team. Then again, desperate times call for desperate measures. This is West Coast's last game before the mid-season bye, and the mid-season bye cannot come quickly enough for them. They continue to lose players as quickly or more quickly than they can get them back. Question four. The last one to four will drive you to work thanks to Izuzu. The two-year contract extensions given to veteran Dockers Nat Fife and Michael Walters. Good or bad calls? What do you think? Walters has played strongly since mid-season in 2022 and is going well enough to maintain his spot in the team for now, but he's 32 and coming off a calf injury. Fife has played the last four games, two as a starting sub, one subbed out two-thirds of the way through and one full game. He's been very useful in all of them and appears to have found a niche in this team drifting between the attack and the midfield. But he is 31 and coming off a season when he played just seven of the 22 games and was affected by three separate injury setbacks, any one of which had the potential to be career-threatening in its own right. The Dockers are young, and a bit of experience helps, especially with David Mundy's departure at the end of last year and the loss of five other players, Rory Lobb, Griffin Logue, Blake Akers, Lloyd Meek, and Darcy Tucker, who all had experience and mature bodies to help Fremantle's youngsters. What would you have done? Signed them or not. You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or you can call us on the open line that is on 13 12 55. We've got a big show for you today. We're going to talk to State 18's coach Ben Dyer about the upcoming National 18's titles. They play their first game in South Australia against the Allies this weekend. Who are the WA youngsters to keep an eye out for? We are hearing there should be four or five of them around the top 25 in this year's draft. As I mentioned, Josh Kennedy will be our Tuesday regular who will talk about the West Coast game against Collingwood. What did he make of the Eagles on Saturday night? And we'll also speak to Adelaide development coach Marco Bello ahead of the West Coast clash with the Crows in Adelaide at the weekend. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We'll be back after the break. 
Jess, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. As I mentioned, very wet and wintry outside in Perth today, but uh, it's okay. We'll all get through. If you want to have your say on anything on the show, you can on the Temperate Bedshed text line 0487 736 736. And one of the most topical points in any AFL season, of course, is the talent coming through. And to talk about that in Western Australia is our state 18s coach, Ben Dyer. He joins us on the show. Ben, welcome. Thanks, Duff. How are you going? I'm very well, thanks, mate. Of course, you kick off your national 18s title campaign this weekend in Adelaide, I believe, at Theberton. Theberton Oval, uh, and you'll be playing against the Allies. Tell us about the build-up. Yeah, it's been pretty good, Mark. We've had uh, the boys together now for probably about a month uh, since we picked the squad. And the last couple of weekends, we've been able to play together. We've had a couple of games against sort of a mixture of reserves and senior opposition from our Waffle Clubs. Um, so those uh, those practice matches are... Invaluable, really, in getting the boys to, to try and gel, all being in a pretty short period of time before the before the champs come around. So, you know, they come in, you get to know them, you get to work out the different personalities, and you learn a lot every training session that you have. But, um, yeah, the boys have been terrific so far. Did you get those through those practice matches unscathed? Because obviously fit and available, as they say, the best ability is availability. So how are you fitness-wise? Uh, we're really good at the moment, touch wood. Um, which isn't always the case. Yeah, we were interrupted last year with injury and COVID and everything else. And apart from a couple of boys with a bit of flu, um, yeah, we're, we're going pretty well at the moment. So hopefully that continues. So what sort of squad is this? How would you describe it? Um, it's probably a squad that uh, compared to maybe previous years might lack for a little bit right at the top end, the pointy end. Yeah, I feel like... Potentially, there might have been more uh, talented West Australian squads in terms of real elite talent. Uh, but what we do have is a squad that's got a lot of depth, you know, and if you go down to the to what you'd consider the bottom end of our squad or players that we sort of pick towards the end, I think those players are, are solid footballers um, and they've all got attributes. They're going to be terrific to see exposed on the national stage. Um, and what we do have is a group that's really resilient um, and got terrific character, and that's going to take them all away, I think. That's interesting because, like, my mail is that the potential is for four West Australians to be in the first round, which I would have thought is a good outcome at the national draft coming up, Um, and you would have heard the names bandied around just as I have, Daniel Curtin, Riley Hardiman, Colton Folstrop, and Mitch Edwards, um, and, and potentially even Clay Hall, either right at the tail end of the first round or the start of the, the second round. That would, that would normally be a pretty good outcome for WA, wouldn't it, in a draft? Yeah, I'm a little keener to see these guys on the national stage, and I'm keen to see how they how they stack up against the best players in the country. I, I sort of feel like at times we can make some judgment on players early before we've got a good body of work. So... Those those players that we've described there are part of the National Academy um, and they've had terrific, you know, bottom age years. Um, I just think it's really important that we temper our expectations um, early on until we see what they can do. But those those players are really talented and they're going to be very important for us, no doubt. So Daniel Curtin's been sort of thrown around a bit this year. He's been played a bit forward to see how he goes down there. And also, obviously, he has made his name so far as a key defender. Where will you use him this weekend? 
Yeah, we're, we're going to play him in defence primarily. Like, I still think he's got scope to go through the middle of the ground. He's done some good things as an inside mid, um, both at Claremont and a little bit with us in the two practice games. Uh, but the Allies have got a, you know, really, um, a really strong key position forward by the name of Jed Walter, who started the championships you know, really strongly on the weekend. Uh, and as I alluded to before, this is a great chance for, for Daniel to, to prove what he's got. So he'll, he'll take on Jed Walter. Uh, he'll play on him. He'll go head-to-head with him. And these are the sort of games where, you know, recruiters and, and the general public will be able to judge players, I feel, against um, opponents of this sort of calibre. So he's going to be really important for us. Um, and I think he'll do a terrific job on Walter this weekend. Colton Tholstrop is an interesting one, isn't he? He's about at 188 centimetres. He can play a bit midfield. He can play a bit in attack. How will you use him? Yeah, probably a little bit of both. Like, I think he'll play forward for the majority of the time, higher forward, um, get up the ground and get involved. Um, and then with the scope to go in the midfield, he's a terrific competitor. And what he does bring is some uh, aggression around the contest. Um, and we're just really encouraging Colton at the moment to just play on instinct. Yeah, he's played a lot of senior footy early part of the year. Uh, and sometimes, whilst that, that can be terrific for young players, um, sometimes compared to Colts footy, it means that they don't have the ball in their hand as often as they do um, in a Colts game. So it'd be great for Colton to, to just run around, as I said, play on instinct, get as much of the ball as he can, because I think when he plays that way, we see the best of, um, of Colton. It's an interesting point you make about um, Colts footy versus senior footy. It's almost like the pattern in Western Australia is one where they start off the season playing some league footy and then they go into your program. Would you prefer them not to play senior footy until they come back from the national championships and come out of your program and maybe have an apples for apples comparison, if you like, where they're playing against kids their own age? Now, I think if they're playing senior footy or at least doing a um, over summer, they've earned that. So you're talking about the the better calibre of, of play here in WA. Um, and I feel like a senior pre-season or senior experience early in the year, it can be so good for them. Like they learn how to, they learn how to train better. They see how senior players um, at the club uh, are so invested in everything they do how they take responsibility for, for a lot of training as opposed to coaches. So they do come plus with so many learnings that are really, really um, beneficial for the group that they come into. Um, yeah, as I said before, I just worry sometimes that, um, yeah, senior footy is very, very structured. Uh, and I feel like for some players it means that they're out of the action a little bit more than they perhaps would be if they were playing with their, with their Colts team. So... There's positives and there's areas that probably you'd like to see a little bit better, but um, I think by and large the experience is a good one and you wouldn't take it away from them. Yeah, it's an interesting one with Riley Hardiman, isn't it? I think he played a couple of games in the seniors early at Swans. He would have had about nine or ten touches in each of those games. He goes back into the Colts and and, uh, gets it in his hands about 30 times and he is a bloke, from what I've seen of him, you want the ball in his hands a lot because he's a great carrier and a great user. How's he been going generally? Yeah, he's been done really well. His first couple of games, uh, he was the arguably best player on the weekend. 
his ability now to defend one-on-one, uh, I think he's much improved compared to where it was probably a couple of years ago. And you can see a lot of talented sort of rebounding halfbacks come through that have no no issue getting the ball in their hands and, and can run and carry as he does. Um, but it's probably for him that exposure to senior footy where you do have to defend first, where you've got to really, really make that defensive side of your game a priority. Um, and then the other things that you can do, the attractive things are almost the, the cream on the cake as far as that goes. And, that, and that's how I've seen his progression. And he's now in a great place where he can attack these champs knowing that he can he can defend really hard uh, and he can be one of our, our best rebounding defenders as well. Tell us about Mitch Edwards. He's a ruckman. He's 207 centimetres tall. He seems to find the footy a fair bit. Um, he's got a bit of uh, meat to put on the bones by the look of him, the pictures I've seen of him. But what stage of his development is he at? Well, he's continually learning his, his ruck craft, and that's something that in the last couple of seasons has improved. You know, now when he's done a, a bit of work down um, at Pier with Daniel Bandy, so that's a great great mentor to learn from in terms of that craft. Um, and so that's that's been a real work in progress, but that's the point now where you know he can do some things at a centre bounce uh, and a stoppage that he hasn't been able to do in the past. And you're right, he's, he's athletic. He's able to get around the ground. So the next stage of his development is going to be getting into some really strong positions around the ground and certainly working back where he can impact in the air, maybe a little bit more than he does at the moment. He's still able to make some or take some marks around the ground. But I feel that part of his game is is probably the next evolution for him. Because as we know, Ruxford can get it done at the stoppage, but... You know, can go forward and impact and, and have an influence around the ground uh, of what clubs are after these days. So that's um, that's probably the next thing for Mitch. Is he like a Tim English type, you think, Ben? Is that the type of ruckman he would grow into, you feel? Well, he'll, he'll put size on. As you mentioned before, he's, he's about half the size of what Tim English would be, but Tim English was probably that sort of uh, shape when he was running around for, for Christchurch and, and South as a kid. Uh, so that's that's the sort of ruckman he should model his game on. You know, English these days can get back on the last line of defence and, and intercept mark and and is a real strong presence around the ground. Um, so if Mitch was looking to, to base his game on a particular modern-day ruck, uh, he'd be a pretty good place to start. Clay Hall's one. We've, we've spoken about the other four a lot in the interviews I've done about the 18s team, but um, Clay Hall is one not spoken about as much. He's the son of Derek. Tell us a bit about him. It's a real dynamic, uh, powerful inside mid. Uh, we had him in the program last year, and, and we brought him in for one game out of the four. Uh, we sort of played him in an outside role and you know, as a younger player coming through he's played back he's played forward a little bit he's played on a wing uh, and he's played in the middle as well um, but he's made the last seven or eight months uh, he's made the midfield a real real target uh, and he's gone to work in terms of trying to develop his body work uh, he's just done his understanding of midfield patterns and, and everything that goes with it um, and, and Clay's the sort of player that will leave no stone unturned in in understanding everything that's required in that part of the, the game. Um, and his form's been really strong so far. He's a bit of a point of difference for us in there. And you know, I really hope Clay gets there because he wants it as much as 
any other player that we have, uh, and he set him up. He set himself up really nicely, I think, for a tilt at these championships. Now, a lot, there's a lot of talk about where West Coast are at on the ladder and what they should do if they get the number one pick. And obviously, Harley Reid is being spoken about as a unanimous choice um, as the number one pick. But last year, West Coast were able to split their pick, um, which I think was the number two pick at that stage, and pick up Jinby and Elijah Hewitt, both local boys, and, and uh, they both look like they're going to be very good players. Do you think you have the right mix if West Coast were able to do that and go local again, the right mix for them to be able to split that one pick into two and get very good, two very good West Australian players out of it? Well, there's no doubt that by the end of the championships, we're going to have players from our group that have, have put their hand up and, and proved that they can compete with the best players in the country. And Ruben's a great example because... Yeah, coming into last year's championships, his his form had been strong up until this point. But yeah, you know, further to the point I made earlier, he was he was unknown in terms of how he was going to go against those better players. So I, I just think sometimes we can go the early crow on players, and um, and some can can bob up and and be better on the national stage than we thought they'd be. So we've got so many players in our squad that fit that sort of category, um, and yes publicity in the past, but I just feel that you know we're going to be in a really good position to be able to say, yep, if you want to go local, here's two or three guys that are proven, stack up really well against the best players in the country. We've compared them against them, uh, and you'd be confident in picking them. Ben, we wish you all the best. Thanks so much for sharing your time and your thoughts with us this morning, and hopefully there's a really strong performance uh, ahead of you for the WA18s. Terrific. No worries. Thanks, Mark. Ben Dyer, he's the coach of the State 18s. Of course, they will play their first game in the national titles against the Allies at Theberton Oval in uh, Adelaide this weekend. We'll take a break and we'll be back after the break with uh, Paul Hazelby to talk about Fremantle and we'll probably focus a little bit on the re-signings of Nathan Fife and Michael Walters in recent days. What do you think of those re-signings? You can have your say on the Temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. Back after the break. Obviously very excited, very happy, and this officially makes me a one-club player, which is good. You know, it's the club that I've always wanted to come to, a club that I've pretty much had my whole adulthood around, so um, it's good to be here for a further two years. Forever were the only ones that give me the opportunity, so for me to play my boyhood dream, which is AFL footy, and to do that here in, in purple is something that I've always wanted to do. Yes, Michael Walters, of course, the recipient of a fresh two-year contract from Fremantle, hot on the heels of a two-year deal offered up to Nathan Fife that has been in the pipeline for some time, despite speculation that uh, there were other clubs interested in him. What do you think of those contracts? Have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line, 0487 736 736. After the break, we'll come back and talk to Dockers legend Paul Hazelby about those contracts. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Of course, Paul Hazelby is one half of the run home with Hayes and Marto that is on SEN at 3pm on weekdays. He's also a Fremantle legend and a very good analyst of the game. And he joins us on the show. Hayes, welcome. Thank you, Duff. Great to be with you once again. Yes, mate. Uh, it's a bit blowy outside at the moment. Hey, um, I, I've got to ask you a question. You played for Reese Frio. 
you coached South Frio and you played a bit for South Frio actually right at the end, I think. Why, why can't East Fremantle beat South Fremantle in a derby anymore? Yeah, I've got no idea. I think uh, it's more of a cultural thing that I think the South players, they've just had to worm them for a long time. And yeah, even yesterday, I think the conditions probably helped South Mel a bit. I reckon East Frio are the better team, but I think where the hard ball's there to be won, I think in those tight, close contests that uh, Fremantle Derby's offer, it's been South Fremantle. So, yeah, disappointing for East because they needed that one to really cement their their season as a real chance to win the Premiership. Yeah, I, I rate their list and I just watched the way they played the last quarter of that game and it was almost like they were... They, they almost worked on the law of averages. Oh, if we get it in there about 20 times, we'll score the goals we need to win it. And they kicked it to Noah Strom and he marked it and repelled attacks. And uh, and then because East Fremantle had cleared out their own defence to try and push up and, and score, the, the opportunity was there for South Fremantle to score on the counter-attack, which they did. So it was a fascinating uh, battle. I mean, I'm a South Fremantle boy, so I'm happy about the result. But I am... I am thinking it's not healthy for a rivalry when one team wins 15 in a row, which South now have. Man keeps South in it too. They're only two games outside the top five. It wouldn't that be remarkable if they uh, get up the eight points at the start of a season and find a find a way to get back into the finals. I think they'd be pretty happy with that. and Probably stick it up the uh, footy commission for the original uh, loss of points. Yeah, and even the worst outcome for the footy commission might be if they miss the eight by one game and look mm. like one of the better teams in the comp at the end of the season. Then the uh, the results in the finals have a bit of an asterisk next to them, don't they? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, they could. It's a good competition, though. I think that's what we want. Only Perth and West Coast and Swan Districts have been competitive, too. So it's great to see from a Waffle perspective. So, mate, new contracts for Nathan Fife and Michael Walters. Two years. I think it was great that the clubs re-signed them, but, but two years. What, what's your view on the term of the contract? Yeah, same. I think it is great. Both players have been really loyal to their football club and we know there was probably a bit of interest and there could have been a bit around Nathan Fife and perhaps maybe that's what led to the two-year deal. But yeah, for mine, it was one too many probably for both and it can put you in a vulnerable position because they have some big contracts coming up. One is Brennan Cox, one is Sean Darcy and you just don't know what will happen over the next two years. If they don't get themselves in a really good position to have a crack at the premiership, you need to be able to pull levers. And I assume that, you know, between the two, it's probably around a million dollars. It's a pretty big lever that you can pull. And you could use that lever to either pay a bit more to keep Cox or Darcy or add an extra year on the contract. Or if you need to bring in another player through free agency or a trade, you've got a million dollars to play with. So, yeah, for that reason, I just didn't think there was any need to sign both of them for two years. I think both stated that they were never going to leave. So one and a performance-based contract saying that if you do play one, you get through a certain amount of games, we'd be happy for you to go on. And even just a discussion at the end of next year, if there is, you know, you get to a point where all parties are happy, just re-sign for one more season. So I thought it was a bit of overkill. Yeah, it's good to see them get them and and bet them down, as you say, Hayes, but uh, two times two for blokes into their early 30s now was in, was an interesting call. I, if I was the list manager at Fremantle, I don't know which way I would have gone, but but I looked at it and I thought, wow, that's a bit of... There, there is risk attached to that, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out for them. The, the, the thing with it, Duff, is the only thing that I can think of is if, you know, let's say it's Nathan Fife, who on the open market might have warranted 600000 But he wants a little bit more than that. So the club goes, well, we'll give you 800000 but we'll spread it over 
two years. So in essence, it's really only an extra 200000 um, that goes into the salary cap next year compared to the six hundred and fifty that you would have probably paid um, at that particular stage or 600000 yeah, no, you're right. I think I believe Fife's contract is four hundred thousand dollars a year, which makes him, you know, that's that's certainly not one of the higher paid um, mm. players at the club. And you would think a similar outcome has been uh, has been negotiated with uh, with Michael to get him to the line. Um, I loved your column throwing up the trade scenario. Talk us through it and and how you arrived at it and and why you think it's a win for all the parties. Yeah, look, you come a bit of criticism for them that uh, you do realise, but a lot of people just read the actual uh, the trade that I threw up. And the trade was based on a premise of asking the questions to the key players in this year's trade period and next year's trade period as they approach free agency. But I think clubs are entitled, because we have seen in recent times where a lot of the power has gone to the players and their managers who are just offering their players up for the best deal. And they've earned that right as well. But I think clubs have lost a bit of power here. So I think they're in their right to ask the question to those players, what are your intentions one year out from free agency? And judging by their response, then they can make some educated decisions on, one, we want to maybe trade this player a little bit earlier. Two, we'll just see what happens and let him go for another season and then we'll deal with free agency. And three, we'll sign them up for a a long-term deal. I think all of those clubs, particularly Fremantle, in the relation to Sean Darcy, will be looking to sign him up for an extra period of time. For me, it's going to get interesting on Sean Darcy because he is a big man. And with Ruckman, I'm reluctant myself. My own philosophy is I wouldn't give a four-year deal or more than four years to a Ruckman just because of what we've seen in the past. They're injury-prone. The competitive nature of Ruck craft can cause injuries to these players but he becomes a free agent at the end of next year a restricted free agent and when you get to that point there are clubs out there that get desperate they start to target free agency and I get the sense more clubs are really starting to target free agency because you get the player for absolutely nothing except for the wage and the contract that you have to give so I reckon if he goes through free agency there'll be clubs that come calling that offer five six maybe even seven year deals to Sean Darcy. Now, for me, Fremantle can't match that. It just makes them vulnerable to what might happen. There'll be a couple of things that could happen. He may not see out for seven years. He may get injured throughout that time. And the evidence is that Luke Jackson could actually overcome him in six months, nine months, 12 months, two years as the number one ruck in that club. So to have him tied up for such a long period of time and have the two of them tied up for a long period of time, I think is has some danger attached to that. So then you ask the question, what are your intentions? Do you want to stay? And in the article I said, well, I would offer Sean Darcy right now a three- to four-year contract, and that would extend him out for four more years because he's still contracted for next year. But in the absence of him not committing to that, then I think clubs, and it's female in this example, are in their right to actually explore, well, is there something that we can get for him that may put us in a pretty good position? Because if he leaves as a free agent, the compensation pick right now would probably be after their first pick in next year's draft, which would be, in my mind, hopefully pick 13, 14 or 15. But the value for him right now is a bit more. And then the same could be applied to Tim English and Aaron Norton, who are approaching those milestones. And we think that particularly one of those players, Tim English, may be coming home to the West Coast Eagles. And then I threw in Mitch Georgiati. So it was just a four-way trade that... um, 
all involving West Australian clubs and players that I thought could work for all those clubs. It's, near, it's impossible to make everybody happy because I understand that fans and supporters of clubs, they overrate their own individual players compared to others. They do. The interesting thing, if you look back through history, Hayes, and you look at these big ticket trades as well, usually the club that gives up the player, i.e. the club that loses the player, actually wins on the trade, which is the it's an interesting phenomenon about all this. The, the club that's keen to get him will tend to pay more than they should pay. And, um, and you, even, you even go back to the most famous trade of them all, perhaps, the Chris Judd-Josh Kennedy trade. If you, if you view that objectively, West Coast wins that trade, even though they lost the best player that's ever played for them in their history. Um, because Josh Kennedy... Well, was I've a- got a... Yeah, you're spot on. I've got another one that's more recent. And you look at Adam Chera. Everyone's up in arms. Adam Chera's leaving. Why are we taking these Victorian kids? Who do we turn that into? Jai Amos. Jumping Jai Amos, who could now become the greatest full forward, or one of the greatest full forwards Fremantle's ever had. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. What... If Sean Darcy, and, and for Dockers fans out there who may be reaching for the text button apoplectically as we speak, we're talking hypothetically here and we're just talking about what might be possible. If Sean Darcy wasn't prepared to commit but you couldn't facilitate a three-club trade like the one you envisaged, what would Sean Darcy be worth if Fremantle said to him, well, we'd like to trade for you while we can trade for you, say, at the end of this season? Look, I think there'll be an arrangement with those two parties. I think Sean Darcy will end up with the Fremantle Dockers, but I fear, I do fear that the Dockers will sign him on a long-term contract because they'll be forced to because of the nature of free agency. Um, Ruckman are really hard to gauge. Like we've just seen Collingwood have two Ruckman that basically you know, came from nowhere. One was discarded by his own club in um, um, Cameron and the other one in Cox, who's from America, and you know they formed a really powerful combination. Then we look at Fremantle, and we've got two that will probably command 1.8 million dollars tied up in those two when the deal is done for Sean Darcy on the open market. Look, I think he could be any worth up to anywhere towards the top ten pick, probably around ten. Could be the go for a club that is desperate for a ready-to-go ruckman who's in really good form and is in conversation for all Australian. Right now, you look at Luke Jackson last year and what he commanded. That was two first-round picks, future first round for the Fremantle Dockers as well. Uh, but he was a lot younger, and I guess the upside to him is probably a little bit more, hopefully, for Jackson and the Fremantle Dockers. What do you reckon is the asking price for Sean Darcy? Uh, if I was trading him at the end of this year, and again, stressing, speaking hypothetically, I'd want something inside the top ten. I think you've got a contracted player. Um, if you if you take the Jackson trade as a as a as a slide guide, remembering Jackson is younger with you know potentially more upside. Um, but I, I think Darcy is right up there as one of Fremantle's most important players. He's certainly not old as far as rucks go. So you'd be if you were an opposition club that got him, you'd be looking at five to six good years out of him. Um, yeah, I, I think you'd want to be inside the top 10. And the reason I asked you that question is that they're talking two to three young West Australians inside that top 10. Would you try and parlay a, a top 10 pick, say, for Sean Darcy into something else? Or would you be looking at taking one of those kids and getting even more young talent into the Fremantle lineup? Uh, well, you've got to be careful, I think, with the young talent. And this is an interesting dynamic and probably suggests why Fremantle have 
signed up Fife and Walters is they're all in for the now. And that is the risk you take too, because if you were to change your Ruckman right now with Sean Darcy going out and you think you're a chance to win it next year or the year after, to go back to a young kid probably doesn't help them in the now. And I think with any list build, it does get to a stage where, right, enough about the future. We've now got to start to to hone in a little bit about uh, what we have and, and how we can be competitive right now because the list has been built that way since basically 2016. Hey, you've seen half the season played basically now. Who's your team to beat? Oh, Collingwood, absolutely. They, I didn't think they played very well the other day against the West Coast Eagles. In fact, West Coast pulled their pants down in a lot of aspects of the game except for inside 50 conversion and putting it on the scoreboard. So they do one by the margin they did, so they've clearly got some weapons when they do get on their own terms. Port Adelaide, you can't hide from them. I think they're playing some very good football. Um, outside of that, I think Brisbane is another one that can certainly challenge. And then you've got a bit of a pack that's uh, developing underneath that. I think Fremantle can make a bit of a run. I've gone through their remaining games, and I do see at least seven wins in that, which gets them in the finals. And if they can sneak eight, and they could sneak nine, then all of a sudden you're starting to talk about getting towards you know, four, five, and six on the AFL ladder. But they've taken on the best teams in recent times, and you'd think there'd be some improvement still to come from that list that's um, you know, been building over the last four weeks just with Jackson O'Meara coming in and those youngsters uh, rising once again. I reckon we'll get a better gauge on the viability of that trade idea you had too after the next couple of weeks because Sean Darcy, you would think, would miss probably two matches with a hamstring issue that comes out of the Melbourne game, which means you get a look at Luke Jackson exposed for the full 120 minutes as the as the number one ruckman. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Bit of a danger game against the Tigers, particularly with some wet weather um, tip for um, Optus Stadium on Saturday. Yep, always a danger game against the Tigers. When they get it on their terms, they can score heavily and they play an exciting brand of footy. And, and I guess the win that they had on the weekend is actually significant because it keeps them in it. They've got a sniff that they can still play finals footy. They're not too far below the Fremantle Dockers. They've got that draw and I think they're one and a half games below. So they are approaching every game like it's their last chance to play finals footy. So it makes them dangerous. Jack Rewalt was back into a bit of form. They've still got some good players going through the midfield. They'll get a couple of players back from injury as well. So, yeah, it's a dangerous game, absolutely. And you always fear sometimes teams coming off the bye, but they come back with the same sort of energy. And that would be a shame for the Dockers because if they do lose, then the buys come at the wrong time for them. Quick last word from you. We'll have Josh Kennedy coming up after the news, obviously to talk about West Coast, but you would have seen the game on the weekend. Jordan Degoe, how many weeks for the hit on Elijah Hewitt? Four weeks on for that hit on Elijah Hewitt. I didn't think it was a weak act or a dog act. It was just a football act that uh, went a bit wrong for him. And I think sometimes we ask a lot of our players um, in the moment that he was trying to apply pressure. And from the coaches, they get told to be aggressive to get up in the grill in the face of other opponents when the time is right. He just miscalculated that. But the whole uh, saga after it from West Coast has been uh, quite humorous to uh, listen and watch to. Yeah, I do. Look, I guess you wouldn't say to their social media team, do that. But I, the, the apologies from them and Dom Sheed, I just thought, you know what? No, I agree with you. It's, it's not a weak act or a dog act or anything like that. It's an act gone wrong, but it's still late. It's still high. They've still got the player with concussion. So Jordan Degoe is going to get, and I absolutely agree with you, I think it's a four-week um, offence. 
So um, I'm not sure why they had to walk it back and apologise. Just um, just put it out there. You know, we weren't particularly happy about it, as you wouldn't be if one of your young players got concussed. Um, Jordan Dugowie sits in the grandstand for a while. And uh, I think Dom Sheed's comment was he gets a month or two. Well, if he gets four weeks, that's a month. So he was within yeah, he was within the parameters, <laughs> and he says that after the game too, without the luxury of uh, you know watching the replay over and over, he would have looked up and glanced up at the screen once. So I had no problem with that issue with yeah. him saying that. Yeah, um, West Coast Eagles even coming out on social media, no problem. So I think uh, sometimes you stand for something, and yeah, I would have liked him just to uh, keep with it and move on and. Uh, be happy with the comments made by their players and maybe just learn from it. Absolutely. Hayes, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week after, hopefully, the Dockers have taken care of Richmond. Thanks for your time, Duff. We'll do it next week. Paul Hazelby, of course, one half of the run home with Hayes and Mardo. It's on SEN at 3pm every weekday. And uh, he's always a regular with us on Tuesday morning. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or give us a call on our open line 13 12 55. We'll be back after the break. 10 years ago, that was fine. But in rugby, they've just outlawed that. The shoulder charge is gone. In rugby, your suspension starts after the injured player returns. Yeah, yeah. so they take it, they actually take it seriously. It was a helpless player, it was a helpless teenager, and I thought it was a cheap shot. I thought it was a weak act, and I'm actually surprised so many have come out and defended that action today. Just on West Coast, I know this will sound a bit hard, but they stand for something. They they didn't need to wind back that that, uh, Instagram post. They they didn't need to apologise for it. They didn't need to back away Dom Sheen's. Uh, comments either. Just going saying it straight to the tribunal was, was obvious. It wasn't a criticism. Symbolic of the footy club, I reckon. Just too comfortable. Don't don't walk this back. We've seen the I know it's you've been noble, but well, even Gold Coast. The, the only old kid got hit. Yes, the debate over the Dagoe hit uh, and uh, Craig Hutchison, of course, our boss, uh, giving us his thoughts on it and about uh, West Coast apologising for their comments. And I, I agree with Hutchie. I mean, you're not going to disagree with the boss anyway, but but uh, but I agree with him. I think having said what they said, um, stand by it. Uh, I thought that uh, they're the guys, they're the team with the concussed player, not Collingwood. And uh, at the end of the day, it wasn't a dog act, I don't think, by Dugowie, but it was late. It was high. If you bump, you're not supposed to bump. Well, you're not supposed to bump late. And you're certainly not supposed to bump high. And there was a consequence, and that is that an 18-year-old gets a concussion and won't be able to play in the next game. So I think West Coast is entitled to be upset, and they're entitled to offer their view on the act that led to the concussion. What do you think? The temperate bedshed text line is where you can have your say. 0487 736 736. We'll take some news, and after the news, we'll ask Josh Kennedy, West Coast legend, what he thinks. There was something off the ball. Rotham was involved and so too Foley. And they've turned it over. Now ended up with Kelly. He hand passes. Dom Sheed runs in. Left forward pocket. Three goals in a row. Sheed in his 150th. Yes, bright moment for West Coast in their 63-point loss against Collingwood. There were a few bright moments, actually, for the Eagles. They played very strongly right up until probably three-quarter time and then ran out of puff, I think, with their senior players fading a little bit, and the Magpies taking over the game. Of course, Josh Kennedy, West Coast legend, AFL life member. He always joins us on Tuesday, thanks to New Farm Galaxy. New Farm Galaxy are the flexible tank mix partner to control broadleaf weeds. Josh, 
Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Is uh, are you up in Geraldton, and, and is it wet up there? Uh, yeah, there's been a bit of rain around, which is good. So all me, all the farmers, me mates and uh, cousins are all pretty happy at the moment. So I think they've been flat out seeding over the last few weeks. But it's been good to have a little bit of rain come through at this time of year. Mate, we'll get to the Collingwood game and how West Coast played. But first of all, I want to ask you something. As a mate of mine always says, he talks about AFL teams down the bottom of the ladder, and he says it's like being the sick chook in the chook yard. Everyone gets to have a peck at you. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated that... Elijah Hewitt gets concussed by Jordan Dugowie and Dom Sheed speaks out about it and the social media team at West Coast sort of basically point out that he's going straight to the tribunal and then they're supposed to apologise for having the the nerve to say that. Why does Dom Sheed have to say sorry? Because he thinks that um, Jordan Dugowie will get a month or two. I mean, if he gets four weeks, that's a month. That's within the parameters of what Dom Sheed said. Why, why do we have to say sorry these days? <laughs> Uh, there's, there's a lot there's a lot of backlash these days and everyone has um, their opinion and their say and um, yeah, I suppose from that end uh, looking at uh, the incident and I think with the tribunal over the last you know even any incident that goes on in the AFL the last few years everyone's been trying to understand obviously the grades and where it sits and how many weeks per grade and per um, what in- incident it is so people have really starting to understand um, kind of where it should go and, and probably where it should land. And I think with social media these days, that is out there straight away. I, you know, before the game had finished, there was a lot of, um, you know, kind of media personalities uh, saying that it was going to the tribunal. So um, you look at that and obviously there's three to four weeks. And, and from Sheeta's end, you know, I think it, it will it sounded like he was joking about that, that two-month thing, and obviously he said a month. But, um, but yeah, obviously the backlash and the way that people interpret it, it, um, it causes a bit of drama. And then um, and obviously the club, um, with what's going on all through social media, and then they uh, post straight to the tribunal because of, I suppose, a lot of what other, other people have been stating. And then there's a lot of backlash on that, and, um, and it becomes an apology. And, probably at times like this and, and things haven't been great and there's been a lot of, um, I suppose, external pressure going towards West Coast. You know, this week I haven't heard anything about Adam Simpson's coaching, um, but there's all, there's always got to be something when, when teams are right down the bottom um, and and those couple of incidents has been, been what it's been this week. Yeah, I just thought, look, I took one look at the Dugowie incident and once I'd seen it in slow motion, I thought he'll be going straight to the tribunal because I thought it's, it's, yeah. it's, more, than, uh, it's more than two. Um, and and I would think it sits at probably four. Um, if he if he gets three, then he's probably um, he can probably consider himself lucky and get out of there as quickly as he can. I'm not saying it was a dog act or yeah. anything like that, but it's late and it's high and there's a concussion um, arising from yeah. it. Yeah, well, all the incidents it, it, it comes down to the head, and obviously um, with the bump um, in the game, there's been fine lines in, in certain um, incidents that have happened and um, split decision uh, making, you know, from players in, in where they can bump and where they think um, they're going to be hitting the body, but they come too high and. Obviously, with Jordan's one and then with Hewitt, yeah, it, it obviously was a, a clean bump straight to to the head, and um, and obviously caused concussion, which you know, uh, which is what the AFL are trying to protect. So, um, yeah, how many weeks it is, I'm not too sure. I'm I'm, I'm not don't know all the information um, and what goes on with the tribunal or, or any of that stuff. But um, but obviously, there's there's been a head knock, there's been concussion, there was a bump um, that looked a little late, and um, and and that's that's where it sits. 
Yeah, I think you're being very nice, mate. It looked a little late because it was late. And uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was after he disposed of the ball. Um, okay, was this West Coast's best effort since the Derby, even though it ends up as a 63-point loss? Oh, it was it was amazing. I don't know if you were there, Duff, but um, but that that third quarter, um, you know, it was it was great to see the fans and the stadium um, up and about, and it was it was very nice sitting there amongst all Eagles supporters and and seeing the boys play like that because um, yeah, I think you know overall game that that first quarter couldn't capitalise, um, obviously couldn't couldn't kick goal and it just had a few of those points go through and uh, pretty even in the second, um, but then that third, you know, was I'm not too sure how many goals in a row it was. I think it was six. Um, maybe um, that West Coast were able to kind of pick back to about 15 points, which was which is fantastic. And you know, overall, you're looking at the game. The inside 50s were were pretty similar. Um, you know, contested footy 132 to 124, and the boys won that. So um, that's when you talk about the effort um, that you know and the consistency that you want. Um, but the consistency of four quarters once again was a little bit hard. And and obviously a team like Collingwood were able to. Um, kicked six or seven unanswered goals, I think, in that last that last term, which um which obviously blew that lead out. But no, it's a, it was a great effort to you know I suppose where the club's been at with the players they've been able to play and um and to see them show that fight. Um, that's 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 all you want as a fan. I think it was eight out of ten goals they kicked. They got back to eight, um yeah got back to fifteen points when Andrew Gaff had the shot that we, we all thought he would kick, I suppose, and it's probably a bit um, indicative of Andrew's season at the moment where it was sort of. Didn't kick with a lot of conviction, I think you'd probably say, and that that's probably how he's feeling about his footy at the moment. Um, hey, um, one bloke who did give us a reminder as to what he is like when he's at his best, I thought, was um, was Elliot Yo, and that third quarter in particular, he was phenomenal. Yeah, no, it's um, it's he obviously has been out for a long time and uh, been in and out with injury, and 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 now he's he's starting to you know get some consistency in his training, plus also a couple of games now, and um, you know to see him, there was there was that passage um, you know just outside fifty where he was able to grab the ball, sprint, you know dodge around a few, um, just seeing him use his speed, um, his explosiveness in the way he goes about it, and and using his um, using his kick, it's 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 always great to see Yoey up and about like that, and. And when he does use that speed and that power that he has, you know, um, that's why he's, you know, when he's up there um, at his best, he's one of the best in the competition at it. Yeah, and there's there's like that domino effect in AFL, isn't there? That you sort of, when you look at the head-to-heads, it's your best versus their best, second best versus second best, third best versus third best, particularly around the midfield. Even if they only shake hands at the start of the game and then don't see each other again until the end, it's kind of like their impact measured against the other player's impact. And you can go from, if you lose the one off the very top, you can go from having three or four players more than holding their own to three or four players who aren't. And with Gaff at the very top of the pile, I thought um, from the midpoint of the second quarter on right up until just before three-quarter time, West Coast looked like they held sway in the middle. They looked like they held sway around the contest and they got good field position out of that. They got good looks out of that and they got good conversion out of that. It makes a huge difference. Oh yeah, massive, massive, and you know, it, I know Bailey's still emerging and coming through, and the hitouts probably aren't where he wanted it to be. But um, I think with those guys talking about, you know, from from TK to Dugo to Sheed, um, Yoey, Gaff, um, the clearances, you know, I think they, I think boys won forty three, thirty three. So being able to win it, um, you know, not only around the ground but in the middle and getting it forward um, is 
is obviously why we saw a higher um, higher inside 50 count, which was great. Now, obviously, the marks inside 50 weren't that great for West Coast. With, I think it being 5 to 14 with Collingwood's way. But still being able to get it forward, get it played in the forward half, just gives you that opportunity to be able to have your shots on goal. And, and it does. It starts in the middle. And it's been great to, I suppose, see those guys get that, those clearances up, especially around the ground and, and getting it forward. Are you concerned that it ends up being another blowout? I think Collingwood kicked six unanswered goals in the last quarter and it, and it becomes a 63-point loss. Or was that or was that a bit of a result of West Coast deciding, you know what, we're not going to try and defend this. We're going to try and take them on and make them defend us a little bit. And so it became a bit of all duck and no dinner out of the centre square and they were able to get clean entries and, and quick ball movement inside their own attacking 50. Yeah, well, I think obviously they're pretty brave with the footy and the way uh, West Coast took it on, you know, that's, that's the way they want to play. So, and obviously that third quarter showed that being able to get within 15 points. So, um, even though the momentum swing went Collingwood's way, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you kind of back off and try and stop the bleeding or do you just keep trying to play the way you want to play? So, Either way, but I think with that last quarter, you know, having Bungo down with his hamstring, I think kind of West um, with his ankle, and um, and obviously Hewitt out, then you know you have one less on the bench, um, or a couple less on the bench, and um, yeah, that kind of does impact, I suppose, those those final stages of the game, and and, and guys playing more minutes, so um, combination of all, but um, it was it was good to see that that fight from West Coast and. And that third quarter, like I said, that was that was something special. It was great to be sitting in the stadium um, when the boys are playing like that. I wrote. After the game that given Shannon Hearn's injured and he's 35 and he's turning 36 in September, that it's time to make the call on him, Josh. I I got some interesting feedback from West Coast supporters on Twitter after that, I have to say. There was a, a few people that questioned my heritage and all sorts of other things. But um, um, <laughs> what's your view on Shannon? Is it a given that he retires at the end of the season or do you think there's some chance that he will go again? Oh, there's always some chance, but um, but yeah, obviously it, it, it's stacking up. And, and being an older player, then where the club's at at the moment, um, having a lot of external pressure and a lot of external noise, as you said, from you know the social media outlets and, and people people having their say, it's um, yeah, it can quite it can get quite consuming, I suppose, um, as a player in that situation. So um, you know, the club and, and Bung will work through what that looks like. Um, you know, and there'll be a decision from either the club side or you know from Bunga's side. Bunga might be sitting there and going, this is my final year. We don't know that yet. He may not have mentioned that publicly. He, may, he might be sitting there, this is my final year. So um, we don't know that. So, uh, But with the injuries that, that tally up, especially when you're an older player, they do start um, they do start getting inside your head and, and, and how you're at. But, um, you know, in saying that, you know, it, it, who knows what will happen at the end of the year and in which way uh, the club want to go or Bung wants to go. And um, yeah, I'm sure that... Um, the right thing will happen. Um, and, yeah, it will be interesting to see how it goes. Did you know last year, did you know um, that it was definitely going to be your last year? And if you did, at what point did you know? Um, yeah, definitely. I, I, uh, I hesitated to obviously sign for, for last year, the year before, and it was purely because of my knee. And um, things were feeling all right in the off-season and, and running around, so I decided to go. And it was probably, I reckon, mid-January uh, when... The knee and, and kind of what I wanted to do was really flaring up, especially getting into you know game scenario and and and, and match play rather than just 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 running in fitness. So, um, but you know, back when I did sign that, it was it was the intention that it was going to be my last year. Uh, but as a player, you kind of always still hold a little bit of hope, you know, when you're feeling okay. Um, but um, obviously, it was probably mid-Jan where I knew it was it was my last year.
Now, what's your mail on Shuey, Darling and McGovern as far as this weekend's clash against Adelaide goes? It sounds like Shuey's a strong possibility. The others are just yeah. possibilities. What are you hearing? Yeah, yeah, very similar. So I think um, Hingbert has been back training pretty well and, and feeling okay. So hopefully he's available for selection this week. I think Jack, yeah, it was either this week or next week, um, but um, but he's been able to get back into it and, and been feeling okay um, from, from what I hear. Um, and then Gov, um, obviously with that uh, hamstring, he, he progressed really well early um, with, with what he's doing um, in terms of his training and everything. But um, obviously with that comes, uh, especially on an injury, like that, you always have other parts of your body that start to flare up and because the overuse and everything. So, um, be interesting to see how many weeks they give him. But, um, but from all ports, Gov's been progressing pretty good in his training. So, hopefully, you have those three come back over the next at, the, at least two weeks. Um, but hopefully, in two to three weeks' time, you see all those guys back playing, uh, which would be great for West Coast. So, if you were a betting man, it sounds like you think Shuey probably plays this week, but the other two maybe after the bye. Yeah, I, I think um, well, well, from from all reports on on Boots's injury and you know with that ankle and a little bit of panty, um, they've given him enough time and and changed a bit of the program um, from from what I hear from you know with everything that comes out in the, in the press. So um, I assume that um, that he's he, he should be back pretty soon. And um, um, from all reports, he's been training pretty well. So I'm looking forward to seeing Boots being back out there because I love watching him play. Absolutely. And if Alec Yo has pulled up well to see maybe Luke Shuey spend a little bit of time going through the middle as well alongside uh, Sheed and Kelly, it would uh, be a fascinating watch to see what they might be able to do against Adelaide on the weekend. Hey, we saw Ryan Marrick play his first game after being picked up in the mid-season rookie draft. He looked promising early in uh, West Coast game against Swan Districts on Sunday in the Waffle. And then, unfortunately, he was down one end and the ball was down the other end for the rest of the game. What did, did you have a look at it? And, and if you did, what did you make of it? Uh, I didn't think I was not able to see it, but um, but uh, from all reports, from what I hear, yeah, it's, it's great to see him out there playing, and 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 hopefully he can um, he can keep progressing that um, not only with just playing, but with training with the team and, and starting to get a bit of uh, continuity with with how the guys want to play and everything, because it obviously will be a bit of a a big um, eye opener coming over over here and playing in the West. So, um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's going to be exciting to see him, um, you know, hopefully get a game this year because um, that's what he was drafted for and. Um, Yes, it's great for West Coast fans. So I think they um, they picked up a really good kid there. Concerning news on the hamstring problems of Kobe Virgil, Josh. Um, we're told he's injured again. Um, yep. d- didn't play on the weekend, and now surgery is a possibility. Uh, have you been able to glean anything from the club, and how uh, how concerned are you? I think this is three hamstrings in his first season of the AFL. Yeah, no, no, it's um, yeah. From from all reports and just seeing, you know, it's um, as a young player coming through, and and you know, the possibility is still growing, and 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 everything, and your body shape taking size, and um, also, you know, um, just the training loads that that come with it. Um, uh, yeah, it's obviously been an issue, and. Um, getting to a point now, especially as a younger player, where you just don't want to keep pushing that because um, you don't want it to have any long-term effects or, or anything like that as they um, as they progress and keep growing. So, um, 
Yeah, it's um, it's obviously sad to see, and as a player, and especially when you come in, you know, um, within the first couple of years, and you have have these issues, it can be quite frustrating. So hopefully he's able to uh, pull through with with what's going on and and find finding the reason out on you know whether it's a strength issue, whether it's his back, whether whatever it is um, that um, that's hampering his hamstrings. Hopefully he can work through that and and get out and just start being able to train and play because as a like young player, that's all you want to do. Um, and hopefully they can sort that. That's exactly right. As a young player, that is all you want to do. Liam Duggan yeah. goes goes to the tribunal to fight that dangerous tackle charge. The odds are against him, given I think it's about yeah. it's about eighteen of twenty. I think of the 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 dangerous tackle charges have stood. What do you think? Is he any chance? It's not the worst one I've seen, but um, but they nah. are taking a strong stand on it. No, that's it. That's it. It's, it, it's a strong stand, and um, uh, once again, with with a lot of, um, I suppose, these type of technique kind of issues, you know, it's, it's up to the players to be able to to work on their technique when they are tackling. And um, you know, we've seen it plenty this year, and even last year um, with this issue on on, on grabbing both arms and slinging and, and bringing down, um, you know, it becomes to a technical thing. Sometimes it is very hard, um, especially when you, you, you're just trying to tackle and, and do what you've done when you've grown up. Um, but, you know, obviously a lot of previous incidents that have happened and and, and, um, and obviously that, that clear hits the head um, as he came down, you know, there's always going to be those sided issues. And, um, yeah, it's not looking really great for Duggo, even though it probably, um, you know, didn't look that bad. Uh, question from Noddy on the text line, Josh. Can you ask JK who was the best guest speaker he heard during his time at the Eagles and or speakers and who had the most impact on him and the team's performance um, stroke life? Well, oh, guest speakers. Um, probably JL, probably Justin Langer was probably always, um, you know, someone who would come in and um, is very motivating, very passionate man. Um, you know, some of the stories he used to tell from, from his playing days, but then, you know, also things regarding leadership or um, uh, certain situations where, you know, the clubs or the, the team's in. And um, he used to be someone who used to, yeah, you'd always walk out, you know, feeling, you know, 10 foot higher when um, when Justin Langer talked. He was, he was very inspirational, very motivating and uh, very passionate, which is, um, you know, probably why he's probably one of the best that I've ever seen. What do you want from them against Adelaide before I let you go? Uh, the same thing we ask every week, Duff. You know, it's just that that, that fight, that pressure, um, you know, and, and effort, um, which we're able to see. And, you know, you see it, you can see it in the stats. Um, this week was a massive one against, um, you know, the best team in the competition, Collingwood at the moment. And that contested footy, um, those uh, clearances um, and winning around that middle is something that um, you love to see. And that drives, uh, I suppose, the effort and the consistency during the game. And um, hopefully they can bring that because they bring that, you know, there is that chance, um, you know, and they're able to take positives out of the game. Josh Kennedy, thank you so much for joining us on the show, mate. We'll be uh, talking to you again next Tuesday to run the ruler over that match, um, West Coast versus Adelaide, this weekend. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Josh Kennedy always joins us on mornings thanks to New Farm Galaxy. New Farm Galaxy are the flexible tank mix partner to control broadleaf weeds. We'll take a break and we'll be back after the break. Are you feeling for Nick? He can't get on the field. It looks like he's had another setback with that Achilles. Have you been in touch with him or what's your vibe? Yeah, no, I've been in touch with him and I'll definitely feel for him. Um, let's just hope that you know, he can get back out there. You know, he's, a, he's a dual Australian and we know what he can do. So um, I can't wait to see him get back. 
Fremantle's Michael Walters, who was on Scotty and Goss for breakfast this morning on SENWA, talking about his good mate, Nick Natnui. Of course, they grew up together in Bushby Street in Midvale, used to play footy and basketball on the street together. We'll take some news, and after the news, we'll be back with Adelaide's player development manager, Marco Bello, to talk about the Crows. The World Test Championship now, uh, having the two best teams play in a final, I think is great. You know, adds a little bit more relevance, I suppose, to Test cricket. So, you know, it's what we all work towards for a couple of years. And this week should be an exciting one. And, yeah, the guys are looking forward to it. We're certainly confident that we can win, yeah. Yes, the World Test Championship starts at the Oval tomorrow night, our time, of course, Australia versus India. Tippin, it'll be played on a very different pitch to the ones they were playing on when they met in India a few months ago. Hopefully, the Aussies do very well. We'll take a break. After the break, we'll be back with Adelaide's player development manager, Marco Bello. Tex Walker. Well, he's a beautiful kick of the footy winner. Gets the skipper. Past 50, he goes... Splits the middle. The umpire just had to look at it sail over his cap. Yes, and welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. The next person on the line is the head of development at the Adelaide Crows. Of course, they will be playing West Coast at Adelaide Oval this weekend. It's Marco Bello, and he's talking to us uh, on the show right now. Hello, Marco. How are you going? Yeah, doing well. Looking forward to the chat. So, mate, uh, it's been, I guess... It's always a bit up and down with a young group, but uh, it's been, I think, on the whole, a pretty successful start to the season for the Adelaide Crows. Yeah, look, we've obviously been pleased with um, aspects of our game or aspects of our game, and we're starting to get a few assets in, which is which is pleasing not only personnel but the way we're um, structuring up our side and, and playing some football. But um, at the same end, yeah, like you touched on, we're still a developing group that's trying to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, so at this stage, um, you know, there's, there's missing pieces here and there, but um, all in all, we're, we're starting to see a, a, a nucleus of a side that can, you know, certainly challenge um, sides, but at the same time, you know, let themselves down, um, you know, when, when there's opportunities to, to finish off the game like we did on the weekend. So um, still a work in progress, but um, a lot to like at this stage. The form on the road, um, a few harsh critics have, ca- have started calling you flat-track bullies because of your form away from Adelaide Oval. Obviously, you had a, a, a loss to um, the Doggies in um, Ballarat, which would, would have just been freezing cold, I would imagine. And uh, and you also had a loss to Gold Coast on the weekend, which would have been stinking hot up, up there in Darwin. So you, you haven't handled the climate extremes or the extremes of conditions. But um, will that come, do you think, with experience or is it something you need to work harder on? A bit of both, yeah, absolutely. That's that's another piece that we we're certainly working on, and I guess we, we want to be a side that it's you know plays anytime, anywhere, and no matter like the conditions you touched on, or, or where it is, or what time of day, or what time slot it is on any given weekend, we need to show up and and play our brand of football for longer periods of time. We showed it for you know, probably a quarter and a half against Gold Coast on the weekend, and. Um, weren't able to, to finish that off. But I think that the main one, if we could put our finger on it, is, is the contest. No matter where you're playing, really, if you lose that contest, no matter which we did in the second half you know, against the Gold Coast, then um, you're going to be playing catch-up. So 
um, you know, our, our boys recognise that and know what we need to do, so we just need to get to work and, and continue to put those pieces together. Some bad news on Tom Dode. He's um, done his ACL. That's a, that's a big blow for him. I think that's his second time. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Unfortunately, not the news we were hoping for and um, disappointing that he has to go through it again. Um, it's, it's on the other leg this time, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's disappointing because he was playing some really good football and, um, you know, obviously he's a, a strong character and um, really well regarded both on and off the field here at the footy club. So, But what we do know is he's the utmost pro. So um, we'll know he'll get back to playing some good footy again and, and we're hoping it's, it's sooner rather than later. But um, unfortunately, yeah, that season done for him and, um, you know, hopefully um, we get to see his face around the place and I'm sure he will. He'll, he'll continue to use his leadership skills around the young group. I love your forward line and it just offers so many different options that can be a threat to, to opposition teams and, and even the fact that you've got the the X factor that Rankine and um, and Rochelle bring, but you've also got the work rate and the grunt that someone like Pedler brings. Um, what went into putting that together and getting the right uh, the right players in the right places? Yeah, look, obviously our, our list management has, has played a big part in that. As you said, there, there's some young guys in there in the, the Pedler Rochelle, um, and then you. you you know, put in a Rankin that complements the likes of uh, Fogarty and a, and, a, and a Walker that's been there previously and a Philthorpe. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a you know it's a good mix. We, we've obviously got the tools who are able to compete in the air and um, you know kick straight for goal, which is you know an art that um, obviously talked about a lot in in Fogarty and, and Taylor, who you know are dead eye dicks really, and then you've got the schools who um, at ground level are able to not only put the pressure on, like he touched on with a pred- with a peddler, um, act on the weekend, his smother, and then finish off you know, neatly with a goal, and, and then you get the special talents and the X-factors of the, the Rankin and, and Rochelle. So it, it complements it well, but um, our ability to get the ball in there first and foremost um, is, has been a work on over the last year and a half, and, and we're probably starting to see the fruits of that now. So the more times we can get it in there, obviously the, the more opportunities these guys will get, and, and, and it looks like they're um, you know, getting bang for buck. Tell us about Darcy Fogarty. He's been a bit of a slow burn, but he's always been a great kick, hasn't he? So when he's gotten looks, he's tended to to take his opportunities. But it looks like there's a shift in his work rate and a shift in his physical physical conditioning this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As as we've touched on at the start, you know, we're a developing side, but within that, there's individuals who have had to develop, and and we know everyone develops at a different rate. And in Fogarty's case, it's taken maybe that extra year or two. Um, to work out what it is um, that makes him perform at his best any given week. And you probably touched on it there. His work rate now, both with and without the ball, has been a major factor for him. Um, you know, his ability to win those one-on-one contests. And, and when he does, um, you know, he's, he's got that uh, that kicking action that doesn't stray too far from the middle of the stick. So um, pleasing to see it's all coming together for him. But again, it's probably a byproduct as well of our ability to get the ball in there a little bit cleaner for him and, and make it a little bit easier so he can, you know, work at his craft and, and then finish off um, as nicely as he does. Now, you're the head of development, Marco, so I'd imagine you can happily put your hand up and say you played a role in this, but they are all really good kicks. I just wonder, the fact that Tex Walker is such a great kick and he's the senior member of that attack, how much influence does that have on those younger players in working on that finishing part of their game? When you look at the way Tex sets up to kick, 
there's not an, a lot of unnecessary moving parts to it. It's sort of like, you know, hold it straight, drop it low and straight, follow through straight. And he does time it pretty sweetly as well. But he has the fundamentals in place and all those younger players around him seem to be a bit similar in the way they kick the ball. Yeah, very much so. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to take all the credit, but it's certainly um, it's certainly not me. We've got a great team of, of development coaches, but what we do rely on is their peers. So um, in this case, you know, a Taylor Walker or a, um, a Jordan Dawson and, and a Darcy Fogarty actually, you know, really um, showing the players and, and, and handing over their IP to a degree about how they go about it and, and what it looks like and how technically and tactically they could do it better. So, um, yeah, it's a craft we work on consistently and um, we get input from, from everybody. So that's the pleasing side of thing and that's why this group, I guess, is starting to fast-track that a little bit more because of their ability to have on-field leaders and coaches as well to, to really fast-track that for us. Tell us about Jordan Dawson, the leader. It's a big call to make a player a leader at your club after such a short period of time, but um, it appears like it's an inspired decision. Yeah, I guess externally it would seem that way, but um, he hit the ground running as soon as he came in in, in year one and, um, you know, just his um, his natural attributes, um, the way leadership and, and the way he speaks and the way that um, the, the boys really gravitate towards him, both, again, on and off field, uh, he's a testament to his character. So um, I remember a young Stephen Kernahan as well when he went to Carlton, did the same sort of thing. You know, he became a leader in his first or second year, and um, you know went on to lead the club through some really good times. And and we feel Jordan's that same sort of character, where um, you know the boys again will gravitate to, to what he does. Um, he's no doubt an on-field leader with his actions, but also his ability to. Um, personalised messages one-on-one with people and small groups and large groups, as a matter of fact, all together really, um, you know, shines. So uh, it's, it's, it's been a seamless transition really from um, obviously the previous skippers which we've had here and a Tex into a Sloan now into Jordan Dawson. So, um, yeah, it's well received from within the group. What's the challenge you face with West Coast this weekend? Obviously, they're down and out. Um, they've lost more players last weekend. What do you have to guard against when you're fronting up to them? Yeah, look, obviously, we haven't uh, looked at them too closely yet. We're still going through the, the, the review of, of the current weekend uh, or preview of the current weekend. But um, what we have seen just, uh, just briefly is obviously probably arguably one of their better games on the weekend against Collingwood with regards to contest, uh, clearance work, um, you know, look at their best players and it's, and it's still the mainstays. Um, you know, Kelly, Yo, um, Sheed obviously had his best game on the weekend as well. So they, they, they've got some really good personnel. Um, yeah, and we need to be mindful of, you know, a wounded group that comes over and really has pride in their um, ability to, to grind that game. So... Um, yeah, it'll be a challenge again and we know what they'll bring and, and we need to make sure we, we match it and, and get back to our best as well. Oscar Allen's been a shining light for them. Do you have one player earmarked for him or is that a team effort? Yeah, look, again, our, our tall, uh, tall backs in Butts and, and Murray have done a great job when they've given the task to match up against you know, the, the key forward. So we'd envisage one of those guys uh, doing the same. But like all things, all teams talk about it is that team defence and and how sides um, are able to get the ball inside fifty and how we can curtail 
you know, that to a degree so the big boys can get to work and, and ensure they uh, they don't allow guys like Alan to get access to the footy and, and like we've said before, with our key forwards, Alan's a, a great shot for goal. So you give him any opportunity and he will make the most of it. Marco, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Uh, look forward to seeing further improvement from Adelaide uh, as the season goes on. I think we saw the start of it when you came to Perth for those couple of pre-season matches. You had wins over both Fremantle and West Coast at that point, and certainly the signs we saw then we've seen more of as, uh, as the early part of the season has rolled on. Thanks very much for talking to us today. My pleasure. Thanks for the chat. Marco Bello, he's the Head of Development at the Adelaide Crows. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or you can call us on the open line on 13 12 55. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the show. We're coming into the end of the show, but let's skip through a few text messages. Paul Heath has joined me in the studio. Paul. Duff, uh, Luke, Jamie and Blair all uh, sort of giving the thumbs up uh, to Fife and Sonny's new contracts. Uh, Jamie saying, are you seriously questioning retaining a dual Brownlow medalist and an All-Australian forward in almost career best form? I don't think you were questioning that. Uh, Jamie, they're not in almost career best form. Uh, Michael Walters was a small forward who kicked 40-odd goals every season, and Nathan Fife was a dual Brownlow medalist. Mm. They're useful, and I am wrapped that the club has re-signed them. Just wondering whether maybe one year with triggers for the second. Look, who knows? I might have still done what, what the club has done. They're in the position to, to know best. They've, they've probably both taken significant pay cuts. It's probably okay, but there is an element of risk to this. Are we going to turn back around in a year's time if they're not out there? and have the same sort of chat that we've had with some of the West Coast Eagles two-year deals? Uh, probably not because Fremantle has a, a core of youngsters bit, bit and, and, young. and that yep. is why they've been able to do that and I'm sure that was part of the club's thinking. But, yeah, it, this, there's always risk-reward with these things. But right now they are both in the best 22 and uh, and both fit and available. Mm. All the news around the Eagles apologising and Sheed contacting Dugowie to apologise. It's a weird narrative that has been taken away from the bump itself. Uh, not dirty but late. I uh, wonder if Dugowie has made contact with Hewitt. I think he was trying to reach out at some point on the field to try and say sorry, mm. to my understanding of that. Yeah. Yep. And uh, when do you think we'll hear a bit of news about West Coast and uh, their injuries at the moment with uh, Bergil perhaps heading for some more surgery? Yeah, possibly. I, they're having tests done today, and mm. um, I, I received a text while we've been on air and basically saying they'll know more later today. Right. So uh, it's a watch this space. So hopefully we can bring that to uh, everyone tomorrow. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, and fingers crossed for him too because I think that's three. Yeah, for the year, which is not ideal. First, for that. First year after being For that drafted. age, no. no yep. Not good at all. All right. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow uh, to talk about probably the World Test Championship a little bit, Heather. I'd say so. Big game at Looking the Oval. Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We'll be back again with you tomorrow morning.